0: Don't want to rush through what I've got to talk about today and, and and next week, because I think today is when we get to the really, really, really good part of the story that we've been talking about over the the last few weeks has everybody got your you got your coffee got your coffee with you? some of you some of you may have to get up and either go get more or maybe you need to go give some away, and then get another refill and come back in and join us but i'm glad that we've gathered here again because over the last few weeks we've been talking about the story of god as we talk about what happens between the trees you know we talked about a few weeks ago that god created he created the, the heavens and the earth and all those those different days of creation he did these incredible things and he put stars in the sky and, and the sun and the moon and he separated dark and light and he populated the earth with animals and the sea with fish and all kinds of uh, vegetation on the earth and in the waters and just just these incredible things and all of it was was really good all of it was good but then he got to the sixth day, and he created something else. He created human beings. He created that first human, Adam, out of the the dust of the earth. And remember, after he created Adam and and set him down in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't just good. What was it? It was, say it with me. Yeah, it was very good. It was very good. Because the difference is that the man us has an eternal soul and has an image stamped on us that is the image of god and and you have that image you know no matter where you came from no matter what your background is no matter what you have done it doesn't matter. You're still an image bearer of God. Isn't that awesome? You know what? And isn't that where we should draw our worth? So many people they draw their worth from other things, like their job or their status, maybe financially, uh, maybe where they live or you know whatever they own, whatever they have, uh, marital status or or lack thereof you know people they they tend to use those things as the markers of of how maybe others view them and you know that can cause us to think really badly about ourselves sometimes can't it because if i've not lived up to or if i've not attained those those societal markers if i've not hit those boxes well then i can tend to think poorly of myself. you know what I'm saying? Because I've done that. Have you? you ever think you know I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not whatever you know kind of fill in the blank. when what really matters and where our worth really comes from is that each of us has been given a soul and each of us are created in God's image, right? And here's the thing, nobody can take those things away from us. Now, people can take away some of those other things, but nobody can take away those things. So don't let anybody take that away from you. Or don't think anybody can take that away from you. Make sense? No matter what's happened, no matter what you go through or experience, if you don't hear anything else in these four weeks of conversations we're having, If you don't hear anything else, you are created in the image of God Almighty. Got it? That's good news. Every one of you are created in the image of God, and God loves you deeply. And we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes when we get there. So that was good. Life was great in the garden. Adam was there, but, you know, Adam was kind of Twiddle his thumbs, he's there alone. God lets him name all the animals, which is kind of a cool job. You know? He's the chief gardener, chief caretaker of the garden. But the animals are great, but they could only offer companionship. They couldn't offer relationship, at least in the way that the man needed. And so he calls the deep sleep. Fall over Adam. You remember that? Let him go to sleep. Took the rib. Created the woman, Eve. Adam wakes up. <laughs> you always wonder what that was like. He wakes up and all of a sudden, whoa! You weren't here when I went to sleep. <laughs> How'd you get here? You know, I always wonder what that was like. What that moment was like. But you know, all we have is what's recorded for us. Adam says, "Hey, at last." Finally, this one is bone of my bone. This one is flesh of my flesh. He recognizes you, you or me. We're, we're, We're together. We're the same stuff. Me and you are on the same level. It's almost like he's saying, finally, somebody who gets me, somebody who understands me. Life is great in the garden. And there's that weird, funny verse that they were naked and they felt no shame. Remember that? Life was good in the garden. Last week, when I was uh, traveling up to uh, Tennessee to do the wedding that I had to go do, I took Jackson with me and uh, trying to teach him this story. I want him to know it. And so instead of me trying to explain it, we just listened to it i said naked 26 times (laughs) 26 times in one message i said naked but i think it's important that we focus on that word because remember they were naked and felt no shame you know they had nothing to hide before god nothing to cover up nothing to mask well, then you know how the story goes. They're in the garden doing who knows what. <clears throat> and the serpent comes along and he sees Eve. says, hey, you want to be like God? Eat off of this tree. This tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's one of two trees that we read about in that story it, and the tree of life. And as long as they eat of the tree of life, as long as they have access to that, that fruit, they'll live forever. They'll have eternal life. As long as they get that, I don't know if it was daily or weekly or whatever, but as long as they eat out of that fruit, have access to that fruit, they'll live forever. So the servant says, hey, you want to be like God? You eat of this tree. He says, can't do that. God said, no. God said, don't even touch it. If we do, we'll die. You won't die. God is jealous. God knows you'll be like him. God knows you'll know good and evil. You won't die. So, she does. She takes the fruit. You know? And all the men scoff and say, Ugh, Eve. What are you doing, Eve? But the real question is, what is Adam doing? He's just standing there. He's with her. because it says, she gave him some. What's Adam's job? He's the chief gardener. He's the head groundsman. He's the honcho there. He's the boss. He wasn't guarding the garden. Because this serpent is leading them. and he he let his guard down, and he let Eve be led away into that temptation. Take the fruit. What happened? There's that next weird verse. They were naked. They were afraid. They were ashamed. Because they were naked, they hid themselves. In some sense, they've become like God. They now know what good and evil are. Remember before, no way of knowing. Because they hadn't hadn't experienced anything bad. They hadn't experienced anything evil. They'd only experienced good. The way we know that something is good is because we experience something bad and and, and vice versa, right? They had nothing to compare that to until they took that fruit. And it's like, oh, this this is bad. then they realized wait a minute we're we're naked their naivety was gone and their reaction was to cover up right remember that and that's what sin does right how many times do we cover up our sin because we don't want people to know we sin i mean we know we sin you know You know you sin. You know I sin. I know you sin. But how many times do we cover up the sins that we don't want people, the specific sin, you know what I'm talking about? Because we don't want people to see that. We don't want to be exposed. Because it's shameful. Sin sparks something inside of us that says cover up, mask, stuff it, conceal it, don't let anybody see it. God's walking along in the garden. Come for his evening stroll with them. With Adam and Eve. Where are you? We're hiding. I was naked. I was afraid. So I hid. He said, who told you you were naked? Then the blame starts. <laughs> the woman you gave me. <laughs> Remember? Blames her and God. You know? The audacity of Adam. Adam. She blames the serpent. Curses fall on the serpent. Curses fall on the childbearing. Remember how we talked about the the, the, um, the birth pain. And that yeah okay that's that's maybe some physical pain, but also really what that is is that's the anxiety of child rearing. The anxiety of knowing. I have to raise this child. This child is dependent on me. And now, any children they bring into the world, they will bring into a world that is going to have a 100% mortality rate. You know what I'm saying? That's that's heavy, isn't it? And that's the pain. I I think all of us as parents understand that, but I think it's a pain that, that those of you that are mothers, you deeply understand that. And you deeply understand that anxiety that comes along with growing a child, birthing a child, caring for a child. And that's all part of the curse. The land is cursed. No longer is it just going to be there. It's going to be, the ground's going to have to be worked, and it's going to be a struggle. And then God says, we've got to get them out of there. Because if they keep eating from the tree of life, they will live forever in a sinful, fallen state. And God would not do that. So as an act of grace, He removes them from the garden so they cannot eternally stay in that fallen state. And as an act of grace, He will let them die sin changed the relationship with God. But God had a backup point. And that's kind of where we left off two weeks ago. Because sin, it, it changes our relationships, doesn't it? How we deal with people and, you know, I mean... <laughs> How many times has sin changed one of your relationships? How many times has sin changed one of our relationships for the better? I think it's always changed our relationships for the worse. And we bring that into all of our relationships. All the baggage that we have, all the stuff, all the garbage, it's all ultimately because of sin. And that changed the relationship with, with God. But God had a backup. And that's where we are today. In John chapter 1, you have this writing. And John, you know, one of the followers of Jesus, one of the apostles, one of the twelve, he's he's writing. You know, he spent his life, or spent those three years of his life with Jesus. And he, you know, he took it upon himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, to to write uh, an account about Jesus, to write the story of Jesus. And he says in John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, you know, as we said, when you see word in Scripture, when you see it capitalized like that, that's talking about Jesus. So if you're reading your Bible and you see word capitalized, that's, that's Jesus. That's who, it's, that's who that's talking about. And so it says that, that God was there. He was, uh, he was, Jesus was there in the beginning. He was with God, and he, he was God. Verse 2 says, He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through him, through Jesus, And nothing was created except through Him, through Jesus. The Word gave life to everything that was created. And His life brought light to everyone, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. That's good news for those of us, which is all of us who experienced the fall because of because of sin. Who, 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 who experienced that broken relationship. And then you drop down to verse 14, and it said, The word became flesh and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Your version might say, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson translates that verse, the word became flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. He came to to be with us. Came to be one of us. Came to live and experience life like us. To be subject to the same things that our body is subject to. To be subject to the same sins that we are subject to yet he did it without sinning which is awesome because that's part of what it's going to take to get us back to where to where we need to be and then john 3 16 which was just mentioned for us just a few minutes ago most well-known verse probably in the world Every baseball game features this verse. If you know what I'm talking about. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have what? Eternal life. Now, wait a minute. They were banished from the garden, right? Adam and Eve were, were banished from the garden. They lost access to the tree of life that would give them eternal life. But yet Jesus, or John, just said about Jesus that God loved this world, loved you, loved me, loved everybody out there so much that he gave up Jesus, his son, to die We'll believe in Jesus. We'll follow Jesus. And we can have eternal life. Remember where we are right now. We are living life between the trees. The tree of life that we read about in Genesis. And then next Sunday. As we get to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the tree of life is going to come back into the picture. And we'll see that that's where we are. We're living between the trees. And that means we can have life here, eternally, through Jesus. So we wonder how that happens. Well, years and years ago, we fell. We blew it. God started raising up some people to start talking about the anointed one, about the, the Messiah. So the prophets began to talk about him. They began to say, hey, he's coming. They began to talk about this girl who's going to be the virgin, and she's going to be the kind of this chosen. One, and she's going to give birth to this baby and it happened Mary was chosen by God and she became pregnant she wasn't married she gave birth to Jesus Jesus was born like right away the world in some way was stacked against him because even before he's two years old there's a hit put out on jesus can you imagine putting a hit out on a baby jesus had one and go off live in egypt for a little bit finally came back herod the king herod the great dies off we read a little bit about jesus he grows up one day they go to the temple Traveling in this huge caravan. On the way home, they realize Jesus isn't with him. He wasn't traveling up front with probably where the men were. He wasn't traveling back where the women are probably moving a little slower because they're bringing along the children. Where is he? Well, he must be back in Jerusalem. They turn around and they go back and they find him in the temple. He's talking. And the religious leaders are like, man, this kid's a genius. This prodigy. How does he know these things? And Mary and Joseph, they get there, and they're like, oh, son, you are doing, you're making us so proud. No, Mary's like, what are you doing? Why have you treated us like this? You know, she's honest about it. You know, why have you done this to us? Don't you know we've been looking for you? And Jesus said, hey, I had had to be in my father's house. He's not talking about Joseph. He's talking about God. I had to be about my father's business. Now well, then we don't have a picture of Jesus for about maybe eighteen years or so, so he's grown. He enters ministry. He's preaching repentance. He's repeat, uh, preaching that the kingdom of heaven is near. He's doing all just just incredible, incredible things. He calls some people come and follow him, his his apostles, which is just messengers, is what that means. And he calls the apostles. And he begins to travel around. And he begins to, you know, preach. And he begins to teach. And he begins to heal. You know, people are are coming to him, right and left, because they're sick and they're dying and they have all these ailments. And, you know, it's so powerful that sometimes the crowds keep people from getting in, and even sometimes the crowds would be so great, Jesus would try to pull away to be by himself to have some alone time with God, but the crowds would find him. And he'd say, "Hey, I got to have my alone time." And he said, "Okay, bring them. I'll heal him. You know, he does this, and it just spread and spread and spread. And it got, in fact, it says that you know he became so well known that he couldn't even enter a town anymore. He had to kind of stay out, kind of on the margin. so many people wanted to get to Jesus. So many people needed to be touched by Jesus. And that's that's true today too, right? People need to be touched by Jesus. So He's doing all these things. He starts talking about the kingdom of God. He starts telling people how God is starts taking on some of the teaching of the day he says you've heard it said this way but now i'm here to tell you it's now this way you've heard it said this way but now i tell you it's this and he he wasn't he wasn't changing he wasn't doing away with that teaching he was raising the bar he's raising the standard That was good, but now here's how we live. You want to be like God? God's calling us to something better, a better way. And he showed them what that better way was with his teaching. But the religious guys, the ones who loved him when he was in the temple, they all of a sudden realized, wait a minute, what's this guy talking about? Son of God, wait a minute, we're the religious people. We'll be the ones to recognize the Son of God. We've devoted our life to this. And then he starts doing stuff like healing people on the Sabbath day. Imagine that. You know? Woman shows up at church. She's been crippled for 18 years. Literally, what it says, she's like bent over. Like a hunchback. 18 years, a, a spirit, a demon, has bent her over like that. She can't do anything. And it's it's on a, well, it's not a Sunday. It's on a Saturday. It's on the Sabbath. They're at worship. They're at the synagogue. Religious leaders are watching him. And he doesn't care. He heals. Because Jesus will always put needs above law. Jesus will always meet a need, which is what we should do. We should always be willing to meet needs, right? I mean, if we're his followers, well, they don't like it. They don't like what he has to say. They eventually say he's got to go. <laughs> and then they end up, like, becoming bedfellows with the bad guys. With the politicians. Both Jewish and Roman. And they put him to death. He goes to the cross. He takes all of our sin. All that baggage. All the stuff that breaks our relationship with God. All the stuff that hurts our relationships with others all of that stuff, Jesus took all that sin and he died on a cross for me and you. And he even said, God, forgive these people. They don't have a clue what they're doing. And so Jesus dies on the cross and the people thought that was all going to plan. Satan thought that was all going according to his plan. But remember, this is not their plan. This isn't man's plan. This isn't Satan's plan. This is God's backup plan. And what they did not expect, even though it had been written, what they didn't expect was on Sunday morning, the third day that the tomb was open, and Jesus wasn't in there. And what they really didn't expect was for Jesus to appear to them and show them the nail prints where his side had been pierced. They couldn't prepare for that. But that was God's plan. And he redeemed the people. And we needed that, right? Right? Yeah we had to have that happen because sin changed our relationship with God. not just Adam and Eve's, sin changed our relationship with God, but thank God he had a backup plan and that backup plan was was Jesus. Now flip over to Romans. If you got your Bible or scroll over there or whatever. Most of them you probably got it memorized, so just pull it up in your brain. In Romans, we find out a lot more stuff, a lot more information. Romans 5, go there first. We're and we're gonna be flipping kind of, so just be ready to flip or scroll, whatever it is. Alright. In Romans 5, you get to verse 12. And it says, "When Adam sin, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. So what does that mean? We're doomed. Everybody sins, right? Everybody sins. Look at the first part of Romans 6:23. What does it say? The wages of sin, say it with me, is death. The only thing we receive for our sin is death. A judgment. Okay? The, the only thing we earn is death. Does that make sense? Because talking about wages, you know, so it's Talking in economics. What we earn because of our sin is death. In other words, there's nothing good that comes from our sin. Right? Everybody with me? Nothing good that comes from our sin. Sin means missing the mark. Not getting there. Falling short of God's glorious standard. Whatever you want to be. Now then, that's terrible, right? Go to Romans 3. And get ready for some good news. Verse 23. For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. You're like, great, where's the good news? That's the same story. We all sin. We get it. We, we stink. We can't do it. We've blown it. We're not, you know, we, we've all sinned. We've all missed the mark. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. God, but man, I'm glad he didn't stop writing right there. Aren't you? Look what it says. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. That's the good news right there. Sin changed our relationship with God, right? Say yes or no. Sin changed our relationship with God, yes. We have all sinned, yes. Yes. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're in trouble, yes. But, because God loved us so much, He sent His one and only Son to die so that whoever may believe in Him won't perish but have everlasting life. God, in His grace, freely makes us, what's that word? Right. What? How? Not how. Why? Why should God make us right? I mean, I've had thoughts in, in the last month where i'm like why god why would you make me right how could you or how did you make that person right <laughs> you know that one's a whole lot easier to think about isn't it right <laughs> why god why i know you make i know okay i know about you yeah. <laughs> but yet god in his grace freely makes us right why because God so loved the world. God so loved us. God so loved you. God so loved me. He gave up his son. Now then. There's a word here. I don't like to do this often, but every now and then you have to. You see it up there, or up there, italics, underline, Freely. The Greek word is doreon. It means gratis, gratuitously, freely, undeservedly, without cause. That's what that word means. God saved us in all of those ways. All of those things. That's the same word that we read about Jesus in John 15, 25. When Jesus is talking to the people, he's talking to his apostles, he's talking about the the religious people, he said, they hated me without cause. When Jesus was crucified, or before he was crucified, as the people are chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, What did Pilate say? He said, I find no cause. There's no reason to put him to death. Okay, yeah, maybe he's a rebel rouser. Okay, whatever. But there's no reason. There is no cause to put him to death. Yet they did it anyway. For all of us have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, right? And the wages of sin is death. In other words, what we earn is death. It's a reason for us to die. Yeah. one sin's enough for me to die so what this is really saying is just as Jesus was put to death Without cause, without reason, you and I are forgiven without cause, without reason. You see that? That's heavy. There is no good reason for us to be forgiven. Because what we have earned is death. But what we are given through Jesus undeservedly, gratuitously, freely is life. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You know why? Because we can't get it right. We can't live right enough. We can't earn righteousness. The only thing we can earn is what? Say it with me. Or don't say it with me. The only thing we earn is death. But here it's not what that says. Romans 8, 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus? Romans five eighteen. Yes, Adam. Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. And here's the point of our conversation today. Jesus restores our broken relationship with God so that now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. you see that? And that is good news, right? For a minute, let's talk about, let's just change the subject, change gears for just a minute. It's already been alluded to, which was awesome. Let's talk about the foundation of Christianity. As great as the the teachings are of Christ, and as important as those are, They are not the foundation of Christianity. And after all, every world religion is based on someone's teaching. But Christianity was not founded, you know, kind of not on what Jesus taught. I mean, it's not a philosophy of life. Now, pay attention so you don't run me out of here as a heretic. Because I'm walking that line right now. The foundation of Christianity is an event. It's the resurrection. It's the cross and the empty tomb. That's the foundation of Christianity. Without the resurrection, the words of Jesus are just words. The resurrection is where the power is. It's because of the resurrection that Paul is going to write later about death. And he's going to say, hey, you've you got nothing on us. Your sting, death lost its power. And nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. Jesus our Lord. It doesn't matter what it is, come hell or high water, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because of the resurrection. Because of that one event. That's what it is. Jesus. Restores our relationship with God because of the cross and the empty tomb. Come back next week and we'll finish the story. Let's pray together.